forgive me, I got to get my stand over here. Whenever I found out it was, I was feeling a little, I was like, wow, I already feel so appreciated. What, what's, I get an appreciation month? What? You guys, thank you so much. I cannot say uh, how appreciated I do feel. I am extremely thankful and blessed and honored and encouraged by all of you. Uh, I love you. You are, I feel like Philippians 4.1 when we went over that, you are my joy and crown. I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ. When, when you're not here, I think about you. When you're gone, I, uh, I kinda, I'm praying for you and I miss you. And You are my family and I, I love you guys, so thank you so much. I pray for you all regularly, uh, even those who are off-island. So thank you. Uh, I am very grateful to God for you. I look forward to growing with you. Um, I'm thankful that after about a year or two years, I still fit in the same clothes that I was wearing last year. So I'll take that as a grace from God. Um, and my wife is right. I do have numerous favorite passages of Scripture, and at different points in my life, some minister to me in different ways during different struggles. And so you can't go wrong with 2 Timothy. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Mark 10, Mark 10, 35 to 45 is what we'll be reading. We'll cover, hopefully, we'll try the entire chapter where we left off from chapter 12. Uh, sorry, from verse 12, 10, 12. Last week, I was in California, and I thank you again for that. Because of your kindness and your generosity, I was able to attend and also the generosity of Mr. and Ms. Trevor and Amber Komatsu. Uh, the, uh, they changed their name. The National, not, no, the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors Conference. And the theme this year was the gospel and mental illness. And so I hope that you are served as I continue to strive and grow and learn that I can better minister to you in your times of trial. So thank you for allowing me to go to that. I'll also be going off island next week with about 12 others of us, so quite the large contingent will be on Oahu, so pray for us. And again, all of this is in hopes that as we grow, as I eat, as I feed and fed the Word of God, that I would also better be equipped to serve and feed for years to come. So thank you for that. If, if I don't make any sense today, it's probably because I'm still jet-lagged a little bit and still trying to catch up on sleep. So if you're like, well, what about last week then? That was pre-flight jet-lag. So, and then the other weeks, there, there's really just no excuse. If I don't make sense, then that's how it is. Um, but at least this week, I've got the jet-lag excuse. Uh, a few other things. Uh, happy Columbus Day for those of you who are participating on Monday. Uh, actually, Hawaii as a state does not celebrate Columbus Day. We celebrate Discoverer's Day. You guys know that? And then Seattle, if we got any Seattle ends in here, they celebrate, as of recently, National Indigenous People Day. So, whatever day you're celebrating, if you have off tomorrow, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I hope we discover Christ this morning. Mark 10, 10, 35 to 45. 
The title of my sermon is The God Who Serves and the God Who Secures. The God Who Serves and the God Who Secures. Here's the big idea of this entire block. The entrance into the kingdom of God demands a childlike, humble dependence on the person and work of Christ. The entrance into the kingdom of God demands a childlike, humble dependence on the person and work of Christ. Another way to say it, a Christ-centered faith results in deliverance. A self-centered, self-serving faith results in destruction. Christ-centered faith results in deliverance. A self-centered faith results in destruction. Or I can ask a question with an answer. And it's, this will give you an indication as to what I've been reading a lot lately, as to how I'm writing. Only one answer, true or false, will do. Childlike faith means trusting God to serve you. Only one answer, true or false, will do. Childlike faith means trusting God to serve you. Based off that, who do you think I've been reading None other than Mr. Dr. Seuss. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. He's getting me rhyming, that guy. Childlike faith means trusting God to serve you. Let's read verse 35 to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's kind of got a survivor feel already to it, yeah? Like they're... Forming alliances, teacher, we have a question. Do, just agree to it first. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful, that it is life-giving, Lord Jesus, and I thank you that you have gathered all of us here that we might hear and, I pray, respond to it, Lord Jesus. And in light of how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, in our need for childlike dependence on God, Lord Jesus, who can be saved? Lord, you have said with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
So Lord, do what is impossible for me to do this morning. Open the eyes of the blind in here. Lord, sharpen the focus of your people that we might better see and behold and love Jesus. Do this for your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Our God serves, point number one. Our God serves. Point number two is our God secures. Our God serves and our God secures. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Think about this statement. The God, Jesus, Mark's been arguing from chapter 1 that Jesus is the promised one. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So maybe you're here this morning, you're wondering, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. He is the Word made flesh. And Mark's been making this case from the beginning. So if that is true, From all the miracles, from the divine voice, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. If all this is true, if Jesus is who he says he is, then think about the significance and magnitude of that statement that God, creator, holy, majestic God, came not to be served, but to serve. Consider with me how this would have landed on the first hearers of the gospel. Think about it. They're here and their their king is Caesar, likely. They're, They're serving an emperor and likely the Greek pantheon of gods or Roman gods. And all of which of these gods demand that they serve them. And maybe, just maybe, if you serve me like this, like Zeus and Percy Jackson and the lightning bolt thief or whatever, maybe if you're faithful, I might, as a Roman god, throw you a bone. I might help you out. Maybe. And then Mark here, through the words of Christ, recording for his hearers, God, Christ, demands rather that he serve you. He will serve you. Think about how contrastingly magnificent that statement is in the culture. Our God is one who serves and he will have it no other way. Who does he serve, though? You say, yeah, that's great, but who does he serve? Does he serve only the rich and powerful? No. He serves the lowly and the least, as seen from the children in verses 13 to 16. You know the passage, the children are coming to Jesus, and they're bringing him the children to, to touch him, and the disciples actually become a little conceited and prideful, and they, they shoo them away. They rebuke the children. And Jesus actually rebukes them, and he says a profound statement in verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, just check it out. I'll be jumping around throughout the chapter. Verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Think about the seriousness of that statement. So there is a way to receive the kingdom of God like a child. And if you do not receive the kingdom of God like a child, you will not enter it. It's a pretty big deal. If Jesus says this is dependent on how you receive it, and if you don't do it like this, I want to figure out however that is I'm supposed to do that. So what is it? 
I would say it is a humble, childlike faith dependency that will drop any treasure for the greater one. Let me give you an example. Titus loves my phone. Why does Titus love my phone? Probably because I love my phone a little too much. So he sees what I like, and so he always wants my phone. And so he, it's a treasure to him. So when he gets it, he'll, or if, if you guys come to my house, he will grab your phones likely and drool all over them. So do not leave them about three feet high. They're a danger zone. Okay? He takes them, and he loves them, and he'll play with them, and look at them, and press the buttons. But... But whenever I dangle out something else that catches his attention, that seems to be a greater treasure, something newer and shinier, do you think he clings to that phone and says, ah, no? He will easily discard it, case or no case, and come to get whatever it is he wants. It is a childlike willingness to grab whatever treasure he sees. Another way to say it. Childlike dependence on Christ. A childlike dependence on Christ. If you have children, you know this is true. If you're going to have children, you're going to find out this is true. Children are absolutely dependent on their mommy and daddy for everything. Everything. Titus never comes to me and says, Hey, Dad, let me help you. Right? Hey, Dad, I got my diaper this time. Take a break. Right? Or, it's a bad one, I'll take... No, he never does that. He never does that. He is totally reliant on myself and my wife to serve him. And I would have it no other way right now. In a couple years. That is the humble, childlike dependency on Christ that he says, without this you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. The next account, verses 17 to 31, is also a famous passage, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. And this serves as a contrast with the child. So if this is how you are to enter the kingdom of God, you could say, this is how not to enter the kingdom of God. It's a contrast with how this man responds to the kingdom he comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commands. You guys know how this conversation goes. Do not murder, do not kill, do honor your father and mother, do not defraud anybody. On and on, and the man says, I've done all of these things. All of them, Jesus. Jesus I love this phrase. I love this phrase. Jesus doesn't only serve the least and the lowly. He serves the rich and the famous too. And this is how he does it. He loves the man. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that statement. Because what's about to follow is, not, is, is a statement that we'll see will result in the rich young man leaving disheartened and sorrowful. But Jesus looked at him, it says, prior to saying that, he loved him. And he tells him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And it says the man left disheartened and sorrowful. Why? For he had many possessions. 
So what is the, what is the takeaway from here? Jesus goes on to explain more, but what, what's going on? Well, perhaps he thought, I've got great possessions. Maybe I can help this good teacher. Look at all that I have. He's kind of poor. He's got nowhere to lay his head. He, he's going around from place to place. I can help him maybe. Or perhaps he found great comfort or trust in his possessions rather than trusting in Christ to provide for his needs. And so the word sell all that you have reveals the true measure of his heart. He had actually not kept the commandments. He had broken the greatest. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. He broke the first and failed all the rest. So, Jesus says on the heels of that, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Following me will cost you everything. And when the man leaves sorrowful, he says to the rest that are left over, Children. That's a key kind of word in these past two chapters. Children. Children. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Now let me just contextualize this a little bit and see how difficult it is for all of us in here to enter the kingdom of God. Because you might be sitting there saying, I'm not rich. <laughs> Dude, I work like two jobs, three jobs. I, I just, I'm barely making ends meet. Brothers and sisters, perspectively, we are the richest nation on any cultures of any peoples that have ever lived. Even the poorest of us are richer than kings and what we have access to. Brothers and sisters, it is difficult to enter the kingdom of God. Exceedingly difficult. So this prompts the question from the disciples, who can be saved then? If this is the case, who can be saved? Jesus says, with man it is impossible. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So it is with this man. He did not receive the kingdom like a child, but loved and trusted his own abilities, his own possessions, his own things. But yet God serves the rich and famous too, who come to him in childlike dependence and trust. He also serves the ostracized and the outcast. He serves the rejected and the outcast. Verse 46 to 52. Poor blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Not only is he blind, as if that were not a trial in and of itself, he is also poor, so he cannot even purchase the comforts of the world that would help relieve him of his pain of blindness. He is poor and blind. And he's hearing that Jesus is coming by, and he cries out, Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. The people rebuked him. And we see that Jesus asks him a question that he asked the disciples that we just read. Remember, disciples come to Jesus kind of quietly. Do whatever we want whatever we ask of you. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he brings the man to him. 
And he, Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Same question to both people. The disciples sought honor. Bartimaeus sought mercy. They had physical sight. He had spiritual sight. Their request, had they asked for mercy, would have been granted. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Not to be served, but to serve. Jesus serves the ostracized and the outcast. And Jesus serves his people. He serves his people. If you're wondering where this is going, it all connects at the end, so stick with me. He serves his people. Our God is fundamentally a God who serves. Isaiah 64, 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No, I has seen a God besides you who acts or who works for those who wait for him. Nobody has ever seen a God like this. Think about it. Islam, Muhammad never died for his people. Buddha offered a teaching, but he never offered to serve and save his people. No other religions, philosophers, or founders have ever said anything like this. Not the Greek gods, not the Roman gods, not the Hawaiian gods. No gods except our God works for those who wait for him. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands, check this out, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to God, to, to all mankind, life and breath and everything. Now you're here saying, I'm confused. Wait, you're saying God serves us, but we are commanded to serve the Lord. Yes, you're commanded to serve the Lord with gladness. Paul calls himself a servant of the Lord. You've signed up for committees, and so in, in since you are serving the Lord. So what is the deal here? What am I saying? There is a way to serve God that belittles his glory. He is not to be served as though he needed anything. You catch that? He is not to be served as though he is the needy one. So we run around, this is how we belittle his glory. This is how we do it practically. We run around frustrated, frazzled, and caffeinated, and we say, if this doesn't get done, it's not going to happen. I have to do it. So I'm going to stretch myself thin and, and neglect Christ and neglect abiding in Christ and neglect prayer, even though it says pray without ceasing and apart from me you can do nothing. I'm going to neglect all of that because I have to work. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. 
You see how that belittles the glory as if God's kingdom is dependent that very second on me doing this or that. No, brothers and sisters, if we fail to rest in Christ, to let Christ serve us, he's not the one who will miss out. We are. We are. The gospel is not a help-wanted ad says John Piper. It is not a help-wanted ad. It is a help-available ad. God is not looking for people to work for him, but people who let him work mightily in and through them. Praise God. Praise God. I need Christ serving me every second of my day. I can't even begin to love my wife like Christ loved the church unless I have new mercies every morning. I can't even begin to serve you and work, whether it be in the police department or here or any capacity, unless Christ is empowering me every second of the day. I can't, you can't parent as you're supposed to. You can't be the employer as you're supposed to or employee as you are supposed to without being served by Christ. This could go, we could apply this in a hundred thousand different ways. I hope you will do this. I don't have time. I want to get the chief way that Christ has served us. The, the root foundation that lays any other purchases, every other promise of service and grace that there is. The chief way Christ serves us is by giving his life as a ransom. The chief way Christ serves us is by giving his life as a ransom. Our God serves, our God secures. Point two. What is a ransom? The price paid for a release. So in the news right now, if you're following in Iraq and in Syria, there is a terrorist organization. What are they called? Islamic State. ISIS, I don't know, the Daesh, whatever their name is, and what are they doing? They are holding journalists, people they capture, prisoners of war, they are holding them for ransom. And they're issuing demands to the families and to the countries, either you pay the price or they will be beheaded in a grotesque, gruesome fashion. So a ransom is the price paid for a release. Or we might say, these people are totally helpless to ransom or redeem themselves. They are totally captive. Someone else, they are utterly dependent, there's that word again, on someone else for their deliverance. So a ransom is paid. Who is it paid to? There's a popular belief, I don't know how prevalent it is here, but I'll say it nonetheless, that Jesus paid a ransom to Satan. That we are captive to Satan, and so Jesus died, and his blood was a ransom paid to Satan. That is not scriptural. The ransom that Christ paid his blood to, his life, his sacrifice was not to Satan, but to the holy, righteous God whose law we have broken and whose holiness we have offended. Which leads to, what are we ransomed from? So if Jesus said, I do not come to serve, but to be served, and the way I serve you is by giving my life as a ransom, why do I need to be ransomed? 
You guys tracking that? Is that question coming up? I'm sure it is. It has to. Why or from what do we need to be ransomed? Let me just give you some passages. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. That's the same word, who ransomed us from all lawlessness. That's why he gave himself. That's why he died as a ransom. That's another way of referring to our slavery or our bondage to sin. The book of John, chapter 8. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if you sin, you are a slave to sin. It is your captor. It is holding you in bondage. And you might say, and I'd hope you you do say this, what is sin then? What is sin? How do I know if I'm a sinner? You ever ask that question? If I were to ask you, what is sin, how would you explain it? If you memorize catechisms or you have a child's catechism, you would know that sin is any want of conformity into or transgression of the law of God. Thank you, Dr. Oreck, putting that in musical form. Galatians 5.19, examples of sin. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, that would be probably modern-day drug use, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he said, all these things I've warned you, and as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the, the kingdom of God. That is some examples of sin. So what's the big deal? So what if I'm a slave to sin? So what? The wages of sin is death. Not just temporal death, Mark 9. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the Fire is not quenched. Sin brings the wrath of God on you for all eternity. Think about that. Serious. We need a ransom to be paid. There are some... This is hard. There are some that deny that, that would say that God is unjust to eternally punish people who sin in a temporal lifetime. Say, what? How is that justice? 70, 80, 100 years at the most, and you're going to punish them forever and ever? Perhaps some analogies will help. If you steal, is it a crime? Yes. If you steal a hot dog, is the crime greater or lesser than if you steal a diamond? It's greater. If that diamond costs more than $20,000, you're looking at a Class B felony. Unless it's an expensive hot dog. Nonetheless, the sentence is raised 
based on the value of the object stolen. So to steal a diamond is greater offense and deserves greater punishment than to steal a hot dog. Or if you were to steal a child, that will land you a class A felony than if you were to steal a diamond. Why? Because the object stolen is of greater value and importance than a diamond or a hot dog. Or consider murder. If you kill a dog in a cruel or inhumane way, that will land you a Class C felony. If you kill a person, that will land you life in prison. If you kill the president, life in prison without parole. Why? Because of the importance and value of the offended, of the victim. Sorry. So, in like manner, your sin is against an infinitely majestic, perfectly righteous, eternal king, the Holy One, the Ancient of Days. And sin is an offense, an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God which then is deserving of infinite wrath and righteousness to be poured out. Brothers and sisters, we need a ransom. We are enslaved to our sin. We were on our warrants. It warrants punishment. We need a redeemer. You need a redeemer. That's the good news of the gospel. I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. What was the price? It was the price of the life of Christ. You were ransomed not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. His life was the ransom. His resurrection was the payment accepted. So how do you get into this? Mark chapter 8, 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Or the way he says it elsewhere, it's another way of saying repent, turn from sin, and turn to Jesus. Believe in the gospel. Believe in Christ. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're like, man, praise God, he's preaching the gospel. Praise God. Is there any encouragement for, for me? Yes, that is the encouragement. You were ransomed. You were ransomed. Praise God. And I want to briefly expand your understanding, if I may, by explaining some more of what this means that Christ redeemed you from. So I've got a few things. One, he redeemed you from the curse of the law, brothers and sisters. Galatians 3.13, he redeemed you from the curse on the law by becoming a curse for you. What does that mean? That means there is no condemnation for you, dear brother or sister. There's no condemnation. Whatever your past failures, past life failures, or even future stumbles, whatever those may be, there is no condemnation. He has redeemed you from the curse of the law. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. What else? That was one thing. He redeemed you from the obligation of obtaining righteousness on your own through law-keeping. 
Say it again. He redeemed you from the obligation of, re- of obtaining righteousness on your own through law keeping. Romans 10. For Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes. That means that nothing you do today will make you more accepted by Christ than what he did 2,000 years ago. He redeemed you from the guilt of sin by bearing it in our place. So check this out. There's no more condemnation. You are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. That is how you are declared righteous. But he also redeemed you. His ransom also redeemed you from the guilt of sin by bearing it in our place. Isaiah 53 put it this way, Surely, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Some of you know this. When we sin, or maybe you look at your past life of sin, you feel there is a condemnation that is still hanging over you for your behavior. There is a shame, a a paralyzing sometimes shame. This can affect people who have been sexually abused. This can affect both victims and offenders of domestic violence. This can affect drunkards or people who have lived their lives in just utter folly and wasted it. And at the end of their life, they look back on their deathbed and they feel nothing but shame. Christ redeemed you from the guilt and shame of past sin. So what do you need to do then to get that? You need to realize, if that's you, you're like, man, you just, my hands are covered and sin. You need to realize and rest in the forgiveness and promises purchased with the blood of Christ on your behalf. Memorize beautiful passages of Scripture like Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified with, by faith, we have peace with God. Or Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has redeemed you from the guilt of sin. He's redeemed you from the guilt of sin and then also from the power of sin. He's redeemed you from the power of sin. Once you were a slave to sin, Romans 6 says, you were a slave. Even if you wanted to do good, even if you wanted to please and honor God, you couldn't. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to that anger that overwhelms you. You were a slave to your bitterness to your malice, to your envy, your lust, your pride, but you have been set free. He has redeemed you from the power of sin. It has no more power in your life. You are a slave of Christ and of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, our God serves and our God saves. And the way he serves you is not like a butler to a master. The way he serves you is like a mighty, liberating king who sets free prisoners of war. The way he serves you is like a cardiologist administering shocks to your chest as you're laying dead and you are totally dependent on him to do his work for your very life. That is the way he serves you. But he also does serve you like a nurse who brings you everything you need so that you can get strong and do the work he's asked you to do. The way Christ serves you primarily is by ransoming you and purchasing all the promises of grace. 
He is not like a needy businessman, but like a parent. And you are like a baby, and he does everything for you, and he would have it no other way. And final in conclusion, I'd like to ask, if you haven't received Christ like this, like a child, like a humble, dependent child, would you do so this morning? Would you come this morning and I pray over here, or maybe you've been serving God in a way that belittles him, brother and sister. Maybe that's you. You serve as if God's kingdom is dependent on your working. I would ask that you lay that at the feet of Jesus. Lay your pride down and rest in the fact that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Only one answer, true or false, will do. Childlike faith means trusting God to serve you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you serve us every second of the day. You are serving us right now as you intercede before the throne. And Lord, would you grant our prayers, if there is any unbelief in here, Father, would you save them? Would you open their eyes like you opened blind man Bartimaeus' eyes, Lord, and would you have mercy on them? Lord Jesus, would you be with us? May you sharpen our focus in Christ, Lord. With man it is impossible but with God, all things are possible. Lord, thank you for serving us. May we, may we rejoice and rest in your service. In Jesus' name, amen.